if you're in your yoga practice and you're practicing comparing and competing and anticipating and blaming, well, you're gonna get really good at these things. And if you're there and you're practicing integrity and compassion and love, then, then these are the qualities that you're going to strengthen for off your yoga mat. Hello, yogis, and thank you for tuning in to Dharma Talk. I'm your host, Henry Winslow, and this is episode number 63. We've been on a two-week break, so I'm happy to be back in the saddle behind the microphone to share with you the wisdom of yoga via my esteemed guests, people I admire in the world of yoga. But before we get into this week's episode, first, I want to make a big shout out and give thanks to my friend Juan Gamboa for making a donation to support Dharma Talk. Thank you, Juan. I appreciate the gift, and it really means a lot to me every time I receive a donation for Dharma Talk. It lets me know that you all appreciate the work that I'm doing and that my guests are doing to, to share the mission and values of yoga. Now, this week on the episode, you're going to be hearing from Alina Wertelik. Alina is the head of East Coast Operations for Yoga to the People and the director of the Yoga to the People teacher trainings. She is an unassuming but deeply knowledgeable yogi, and I'm really excited for you to check out all that she's got going on and some of the things that she's going to share. In this episode, you'll hear from Alina on the ever-changing convictions around what yoga is and isn't that we tend to oscillate through, at least as she did in her experience, and ultimately celebrating yourself in your yoga practice. We talk about connecting to others through serendipitous shared experiences of profound suffering. She talks a little bit about a new project that's going on at Yoga to the People called the Tantra Talks, and taking risks, making truth trendy through hosting open conversations about intimacy, sex, and death. Finally, we get into testing the universality of the practices of yoga by bringing a system of teaching across international borders. All of that is coming up very soon. Please just stay tuned through these announcements and we'll dive into my interview with Alina Wertelik. Yogis, I have plenty of events coming up, and I hope that you can join me for some of them. June 22nd and 23rd, I'll be at Yoga to the People St. Mark's to teach locks and keys to arm balancing and floating, and purification practice, mantra, pranayama, and kriya for clarity. On June the 26th, I'm giving a benefit class to support Woodstock Sanctuary, a beautiful animal rescue shelter in upstate New York. That's a donation class, so come and give whatever you can. July 13th, I'm teaching the purification practice at Three Jewels. And then this summer, I'm helping out with two 300-hour teacher trainings. In June and September, with the Advanced Science of Self teacher training happening at Yoga to the People, and in July and August, the Jared McCann Yoga Teacher Training happening at Lighthouse Yoga School. Finally, I have two immersions coming up, October 3rd through 6th, a Lighthouse Yoga Immersion at Yoga East Austin in Texas, and October 25th through 27th, Veronica, my wife, and I are giving a weekend immersion at Shala Ananda Yoga in Busarias, Mexico. Please head over to henrywins.com slash events to get more details and sign up.
What's your purpose? What's your vision? What mark will you leave on this planet long after you're gone? I'm Henry Winslow, and you're listening to Dharma Talk, the only podcast where I interview inspirational yogis on how they're changing the world in their own unique ways. Whether you're still searching for your purpose or already walking the path, I hope these stories get you excited to live your dharma. Hello, Dharma Talk community, and welcome back to another episode. Today, I have my friend Alina Wertelik on the line. Alina is the head of East Coast Operations for Yoga to the People, a unique yoga studio that aims to make yoga available to everyone. She also serves as director of the YTTP teacher trainings and a lead instructor for Science of Self teacher trainings. Her yoga journey has been quite unexpected, and at the same time, it feels divinely planned. Alina, it's my pleasure to be chatting with you today Thank for the you, first Sam. time on, on Dharma Talk. So welcome, and uh, how are you today? Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm really excited to talk to you. Well, we always start these interviews with the same opening question, which tends to pave the way for the rest of the conversation. So I'll give you that question now. What does the word dharma mean to you? And what is your dharma as you understand it today? So dharma, to, you know, I don't have a really, really thorough understanding of the word dharma, but um, to me, it has something to do with purpose and how, how I'm living it today. You know, I kind of see that in two, two ways. One is my dharma is like a human being, <clears throat> which is to be like the kind of person that if more people were like, then maybe the world would be a better place, right? It's so like being kind to people and taking responsibility for my actions and my experiences. And I really like that word responsibility because it breaks down to uh, your ability to respond. And I feel like that's all we've got really is like to our ability to respond to every single thing that happens. Um, as Alina, I think my dharma or my, my purpose is to, to use and share the resources and experiences I have right now to help other people. Uh, so right now what I have is my understanding of what my yoga practice has done for me. Um, I've seen what it's done for countless people. You know, I've been teaching for nine years. I've been teaching almost on a daily basis for the last seven years. And, um, and through teacher trainings, which I've, I've, I've ran like 20 teacher trainings at this point. I think even, um, even more than that. Um, so I have all of that. And, and I have the philosophies that Yoga to the People stands on, um, which, is, which is really awesome. You know, um, one of the things... One of those is uh, that we don't post a teaching schedule. So I get to teach yoga and be more committed to the well-being of other students than I am to them liking me or like trying to build a following. So right now, uh, my commitment is to uh, like hold, hold space for people, um, which I translate to like being so razor clear, sharp about my intention um, for people to do their own exploration through their yoga practice, through the active meditations that we offer, through uh, the Tantra talks, which I'm sure we'll get to talk more about. And I, 
I want people through these processes to find their truths. Um, I want, I want truth to be something that is trendy, right? Like, like trends are, they're always external things. It's a style, it's a color, it's a beverage, it's a song. Um, and we start identifying with these things and then they end and then we suffer. But what we do have underneath all of that is, is me, right? It's a part, it's a part of me that calls me, me. And I want people to get in touch with that. I really desperately want people to be comfortable with who they are and owning it. And by doing so, um, give permission to other people to do the same. Right. You have a lot going on clearly. And despite the fact that, you know, you have your hands in all these different projects and, um, you have lofty ambitions for what you're doing. What's clear to me from what you just said is that there is an underlying common thread through everything you're doing, which is this idea of, of service to others. And it's not about yeah. you as the teacher, right? That's, that's the, the philosophy that yoga to the people stands on with not posting the schedule, but also it's not, it, it goes beyond that. It goes beyond, you know, what, what is my name? Who, who am I as the teacher to, how do we make this available to everyone? And that, that points back to this, to this point you made about sharing resources that you have to help others. So can mm. you talk a little bit more about what Yoga to the People is all about and how you ended up um, being such a, a force within that community? Sure. Um, I, well, I started practicing yoga I think 12 years ago. And I, I, was, um, I was a competitive equestrian actually for, for about 10 years. And when my trainer was, um, was passing away, I, um, that was around the time that I was going off to college. Uh, it was a little bit before that actually. And I actually, um, I may have something to do with like not having that competitive um, controlling aspect that I had gotten really, really good at at that point. Um, but I, I developed an eating disorder and I was at a nail salon in my hometown and I saw this, this pamphlet that said, burn 600 calories in 90 minutes. And I was like, yes, I'll take like three. And so I started um, doing hot yoga because that was how I was promoted in that, in my hometown. And I started doing Bikram yoga. And then when I moved to the city and, and started college, that was my goal was like to find a Bikram yoga studio so I could keep doing this, so I could keep doing the thing that was um, really um, helping me on this very unhealthy goal at the time. And through practicing that yoga, I found myself less interested in being as skinny as possible and more interested in getting stronger. And um, I started to get I started to get healthier just by practicing that yoga. And I was in my dorm uh, my freshman year and I saw someone wearing uh, a yoga to the people shirt and I said, "Oh, I do yoga." And he was like, um, "Oh, you should come with me sometime." And I was like, "Oh, no, no. I know what yoga is. It's Bikram yoga and that's the yoga I do. I don't whatever." And he and I was and he's like, "No, I mean, you'll sweat and you'll work really hard." And I was like, okay, fine, I'll go. And I took class there and I thought it was so ridiculous because 
there was music playing and there was this vibrational breathing and there was this like closing your eyes. And I was like, okay, well, I know what yoga is and this isn't yoga, but I still liked it. So I kept going back to supplement my Bikram practice until I decided that vinyasa was actually yoga and Bikram wasn't actually yoga. So then I was just going to yoga to the people. And then about two years later, um, Greg Camusio, who started yoga to the people, started announcing that we were going to open up these traditional hot studios. And then I was like, what's yoga? You can't do both. And um, as it turns out, they are, in my opinion, they're, they're different windows to the same room. So I started doing my hot practice again. And uh, about a year after that, I did teacher training. And I, I really, I was terrified to teach. I really liked the idea of teaching. I had a lot of respect for the teachers whose classes I'd taken. But I, I didn't think that, that I had a voice that was worth being heard at all. I was like, okay, well, these people clearly like have something that I don't have, that they're able to like stand up here and share these things and they have a right to, and I, I don't. Um, so I played it cool. Like I didn't actually want to teach, but I really, really did. And, uh, and you know, it, it took some time. I definitely did not quit my day job. I was working as a medical receptionist. I was cocktail waitressing at music venues. I was working in, um, in PR. And uh, eventually, I, um, we opened up a studio out in Seattle, and it, was a, it had just been open maybe for less than a year. And Greg asked me if I wanted to go out to teach at that studio. And I had just started teaching hot yoga maybe a couple weeks before, and I was like, sure. And I went out there, and I had to manage the studio. I, there was someone else there who I was supposed to teach how to teach hot yoga. And there was a group on, and this was right by UW. So there was a, a group on for these hot yoga classes out there. And there was like a line out the door and around the corner every night for these hot classes. So I was there for a month and I learned how to teach hot yoga to everyone. I learned how to manage a studio. I like got super into my practice. And when I came back, um, the owner at the time of our Midtown studio, Nikki Carter, um, asked me if I wanted to manage her studio. And that was, that was the beginning of me, you know, getting in full time with yoga to the people. There are lots of things in that story that I want to underscore. First one was, how funny it is to to hear you talk about this is yoga, this isn't yoga, because right. that <laughs> attitude is so familiar. You know, I started with Bikram Yoga too, and for for many years, I was like, well, this is the only thing that's worth doing. And right. uh, in retrospect, it's easy to look back at that and say, well, that's totally ridiculous that attitude. But at the same time, you know, if you don't have an attachment. You know, we always talk about detachment and attachment being a bad thing, but that initial attachment to something can really fire you to be driven and, and continue a practice and getting, getting attached to your practice in the beginning can actually be really beneficial. So I just, I, I wanted to tell you that that really resonated with me and it's, and it's funny to see how it flipped back and forth for you. 
Yeah. As a competitor too. Like that was my mindset. I, I like from my horseback riding, I mean, I was trained by an ex captain, the Mexican cavalry. He told me to be bulletproof. And I was very clear that it meant that when something hits, it bounces off and I keep going. And, and through the yoga practice that really has changed. Like I still feel bulletproof, but I feel like when it hits, it penetrates and I feel it very fully and I keep going. Right, right. You know, the other thing that you brought up was feeling a sense of unworthiness to be a teacher in the beginning. What do you think it was that helped you to step into your confidence, step into your power? Was it being thrust into this uncomfortable situation where you really had to sink <laughs> or swim or was yes. there something else to it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I've also been very, very lucky in my life to have, um, to have really incredible people really believe in me. Um, like Fuentes, my, my, uh, horseback riding trainer, um, like Nikki, like Greg, um, like Rose Aaron, you know, these, um, these people who I just, um, would ask me to get into these really uncomfortable situations and do just, we just said sink or swim. I mean, there was one time in particular where I was about to lead, uh, this really intense, weekend in teacher training for the first time. And I cried on the phone to Greg. I was like, I don't want to do this. I can't do this. And I said, um, I said, I just wanted to teach yoga. And he said, well, Alina, you can't just teach yoga. And I was like, God damn it. And, and it really, it really, a lot of it has come from um, the faith that other people have had in me. And if I can be that for other people, then, then that's what this is all about because it did what so much you, for me. What do you think he meant by that? You can't just teach yoga. That once you start teaching yoga, um, there's, 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 <laughs> there's so much more to do because you don't just get up there and tell people how to get in and out of poses, right? That these, these poses, they're not just shapes you make with your body. They are containers for experiences. And our, our job as yoga teachers is to help people um, explore themselves inside of these containers. Um, so that that's what I took they meant by that. That at a certain point, um, you just have a responsibility to, to understand that it's more than just taking people through the motions. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it's one of those kind of mic drop moments. Like that sentence is a sutra. Right on my face. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So after all of these years um, of exploring different practices and going deeper into what it means to be a yoga teacher and everything that comes with that, what does your personal yoga practice look like these days? My personal yoga practice... I would say uh, for the last, probably for most of this year, there, it's been, there's been a huge element of self-love, which I did not realize was lacking in my practice. Um, you know, I did, um, it was actually that this intense weekend that I was just telling you about that um, a, a few months ago, uh, Greg came in to lead it and he was like, you know, why don't you participate in it this time? Because it's been a really long time since I had done that. And I was really excited about it. And um, on the Friday night, it's a Friday night, all day Saturday, all day Sunday weekend. So on the Friday evening, 
we had a Kundalini teacher come in and take us through a three hour Kundalini class. And she had us do this Kriya where we were just looking at our hands. And, you know, usually I'll look at my hands and be like, okay, well, like that nail needs to be cut. And I got some dirt behind this nail and wow, these lines on my palms. And, and for the first time I looked at my hands and I, I like started crying because I was like, oh my God, like you're my hands. Like I love you hands. And, and then the next day we were doing this, um, dynamic meditation, um, which is a, an Osho meditation. And there's one, it's a five phase meditation and you do some like really rapid breathing and then you do some jumping up and down and you do this like screaming and cathartic release. And then there's this phase where you just freeze and your arms up over your head and you don't move for like, it's like some like 12 to 15 minutes. And usually when I'm in those very intense moments, I, I try to channel something else. I'll, I'll channel, you know, my fiance or I'll channel, um, my, my dad, or I'll, I'll find kind of some other source to try to keep me going, like do it for them. And for the first time I was like, but what about Alina? Like, she's pretty cool. And like, I haven't really spent much time with her. So like, what, what about, what about Alina? Like I've, I've got her, like she's got my back. And I found all of this strength all of a sudden, and it was fine because I had Alina, right? <laughs> but so that's ever since that experience, um, I've really been trying to celebrate in my yoga practice and not just like, oh, hey, like my arms look really good today, but actually just like love my arms for how, for what they're doing for me. And I, I didn't realize that that was, um, I didn't even realize that was an element of my practice that I, I wasn't cultivating. Right. Yeah. You know, um, it, it can be so powerful to, um, to make your practice a dedication or to, to offer your practice to something else, but yeah, not, not at the neglect of yourself, right. That's an important piece of it too. Yeah. And yeah, those those realizations can come at any time, right? Looking at your hands in a in a in a kriya or <laughs> or or just like in the middle of your day. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and now it's like, you know, I think a, a yoga practice is it's a practice. So whatever you're choosing to practice is what you're going to is what you're going to strengthen. So if you're in your yoga practice and you're practicing comparing and competing and anticipating and blaming, well, you're going to get really good at these things. And if you're there and you're practicing integrity and compassion and love, then, then these are the qualities that you're going to strengthen for off your yoga mat. Exactly. Yeah. People, there's like a, an old idiom practice makes perfect. But the reality is, in my experience, practice makes permanent. And whatever you're doing just reinforces and becomes a pattern. And of course, we have yeah. the tools to, to revisit and, um, and, and reconfigure, if necessary, our thought patterns through yoga. Yoga is very good at that. But just like anything else, you know, if you continue to do the same things over and over again in repetition, there's a compounding effect there for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're already very good at going through the motions. We live in New York City. We we like have to be good at that. So yeah. like we got to practice like survive. not missing out. Yeah, and participating rather than surviving. Yeah. 
Tell me a moment in your teaching career since having that, you know, having that um, experience that allowed you to dive in and and build your confidence where your confidence was shaken a bit. When was there a moment that you struggled and then what did you do to get through that? Hmm. Something that I keep coming back to, you know, so to you, my, my teaching is very much, it's part of my life, right? Like I don't have like a nine to five job where it's like work and then you work to make your money to then live the rest of your life. Like everything is like, I'm, I'm always working. I'm always living. It's all just, you know, very moment by moment. Um, and two years ago, I, you know, and I was always able to kind of stand very confidently, kind of in what I was talking about a little earlier about being bulletproof. Like I really like believed that. Um, And two years ago, my dad got um, diagnosed with stage four cancer. And he was, um, I was fortunate that he was in the city for that. He was at Sloan Kettering. So I was able to go and, and see him like every day. And, um, but my work, you know, I I mean, I could have been like, okay, like I need to like take this time off to like handle this thing. Um, but I really didn't know how long he was going to live for. I didn't know if this was going to be a one month thing or a six month thing or a 10 year thing. Um, so I, I kept, I kept doing my job and I kept, you know, going to see him and it, uh, it, it really forced me to practice what I was preaching about like feeling something fully and, and being able to keep going because I, there were some days where the last thing that I wanted to do after spending all day in the hospital was to go and like, and like be around people because, you know, I, I was kind of felt like no one could possibly know what I'm going through and I'm not in a place where I could like give to people. And then I would go and teach and realize that like, I don't know what any of them are going through either. And, and when I was so unsure if I could like be doing my job and be holding space for people in the way that I thought I need to show up for them, it somehow made it easier. And um, one of the really like crazy moments where I realized how powerful it was not that we don't post a teaching schedule, but just really stand on these, the foundation of what yoga to the people is about is um, two weeks after my father passed, I taught a class. And after class, um, there and there's always, I've been teaching for so long that I know a lot of our students by name. And uh, everyone had, had left except for um, one guy. And he, he was like, you know, I'm really sorry that I couldn't really work hard today. And I was like, that's, that's okay. That's, that's not what it's about, you know. Um, you did your practice. I'm glad you were here. And he said, I just found out my dad has cancer. And I, and he, then he's right away was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I shouldn't have told you that. And I was like, my dad just passed away two weeks from cancer. And, and then we got to have this beautiful conversation where I felt like I got to share, um, some things that were very valuable from, from my experience of, of going through something like that. 
um, with him. And ever since then, we've kind of we've had like more um, more of a connection and a deeper understanding of each other. Um, so these yeah, these moments that um, it seems like you just can't keep plugging forward, you do. And and I've always learned from my deepest moments of struggle have been my best teaching moments. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that um, and being vulnerable about that. Um, it's like you said before, you know, yoga is, is not just, uh, it's not a performance that you show up for. It is a practice. So I think the teaching falls right into that. You know, as yoga teachers, I believe that teaching is part of the practice and yeah. to show up and, and give your class and share during a moment when you're struggling can, um, not only be healing for you, but it can also add another layer of, of emotional impact to what you're giving to the students. So if yoga is practice, I think that suffering and, um, and shared experience is absolutely a teacher. We're all in it together. <laughs> yeah. Talk to me about um, the new project that you've started with, um, with Rose Aaron, the, the Tantra Talks. What is that all about? And um, what are you hoping to achieve with that? Oh, those are so much fun. I mean, we've, we've only done two so far. Um, but they, you know, we don't really have much of an agenda with it other than to have these conversations and see what's inside of ourselves and to find out if there's anything that we can work towards to find out if there's any problem that needs to be solved. So they're not classes. They're, they're very much so um, conversations where we use the foundations and teachings of yoga and, and Tantra for, you know, growth and healing and expanding consciousness. Um, we're just trying to try on um, new ways of perceiving and being we, the, there are places in the world where you literally cannot have conversations about uh, intimacy and sex and death. And, and the fact that we can have these conversations is, as Aaron puts it, is like the reason why we have to have these conversations. So that's, that's really what we're trying to do here. And how have they played out in the first two? Have you been surprised by the topics that have come up? Yeah, because we feel like we're really taking a risk here. And we get to, you know, I think there's a lot of sensitivity in our culture around honoring people's opinions and whether they like agree or disagree with what's being said. So in these conversations, really asking people not to try to agree or disagree, but understand one another and, and understand where we're coming from. And and they've, they've been really um, successful because um, people have been really willing to get vulnerable. And kind of like I was talking about earlier about like truth being trendy, um, I think people are really willing to get to like their, their own truth. And um, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, truth is trendy and truth or truth can be trendy, but truth is also not universal, right? There are multiple truths. Yes. And in this day and age with as much as technology 
allows us to connect with a wider group of people and like have conversations internationally. This is all super cool, but the nature of these algorithms that facilitate the conversations does tend to keep um, our view relatively narrow. You know, it becomes the echo chamber where you're hearing voices that are similar to yours because that's what the technology knows that you want to hear and will keep you mm-hmm. engaged. Mm-hmm. So. I love that attitude that you're bringing to this, that, you know, it's to get away from the polarity is black and white and instead start to hear other people and entertain other ideas. This is, this is how we grow. Yeah. And like one of the things that, that just reminded me, one of the things that came up in these talks. So we did um, the first talk, which um, was funny because we started at like 6 PM and at 5.50, Aaron and I were like standing at the door and there were three people there and we're like, oh my God, no one's going to come. This is a terrible <laughs> idea. We never should have done this. And then we ended up having 70 people show up. We couldn't even like fit everyone in the room. So it was really cool. Um, and one of the issues that people, so Erin um, asked a couple of questions and one of the questions she asked was, what would sex be like if it were perfect? And people had a real problem with the word perfect. And it happened again when we had the same lecture with our uh, teachers in training the next day. People had a real issue with the word perfect. They didn't like that we used that word um, because their idea of perfect was um, what other people's standards are, right? So they thought, I think they may have thought that we we, we were going to come out with this, like, well, here's what perfect is at the end of it when really what we were trying to do was have people figure out what perfect meant for them. Uh-huh. Because as Aaron put it, if you can't decide, figure out what's perfect for you, then you, you have nothing to complain about. Right. So that was just like one example of like where we kind of like rubbed up against something, but then it ended up being um, a really uh, empowering perspective for people to look at this idea of perfection as something that's not other people's standards, but, but something that comes from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I can I can sort of see why people might have a resistance around a conversation on perfection because perfection is like impossible to achieve or something like that. But to your point, it's like if you don't have an ideal, even if it is something unattainable, you still have to under or have a grasp around your theoretical conception of that, or else, like Aaron said, you you, you can't identify a problem if you don't have something right. to contrast it against. Right. Like every, everything's perfect. It's what's happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yoga to the people I understand is now expanding internationally. Mm-hmm. What has that been like? Um, are you involved in that expansion and um, w- what sort of things are you working on to bring that to life? So that was inspired um, by uh, my really good friend. Her name is Ronnie. She did teacher training uh, a couple years after I did. And we became good friends. Um, she went, uh, she's from Tel Aviv. So she moved back to Tel Aviv. And she, she couldn't find a yoga studio that like, she really loved or you know, that really resonated with her. So she said, okay, so I'm just going to start teaching yoga to the people classes. And she would start teaching them. Um, where on like rooftops, like she would find people who would just let her teach yoga on their rooftops. And she started a Facebook group. 
and she got a little bit of a following and it would be like, hey, we're on this rooftop at this time this week, come join us. And she did it by donation and she pulled together enough money to then open up a studio. So she was looking for spaces to open up a studio. She um, found or got recommended to a place called Abraham Hostel, which I believe is the biggest hostel in, in Tel Aviv. And they have an activity room downstairs and they allowed her to um, kind of rent out the space sometimes to teach yoga classes. So now she has a set space in this hostel. And I was there, I was there a couple weeks ago um, and, and Greg went out there and he, he taught um, some classes there. And then he got really inspired because he said, it's so perfect that for yoga to be able to be in a hostel because when you're you know, like 18 to 25 years old and you're traveling the world and you don't have a ton of money. So you're, you know, you're staying at a hostel, um, how perfect that people would still be able to do their yoga practice. And with yoga to the people classes, what my takeaway was from teaching out there um, is that it works. Like I, I, I led a workshop out there where I was so blown away by how how well it was received, and you know, we I, I asked people to hold camel pose for like five minutes, and then do eye gazing um, for like five minutes with with a bunch of other people in the room, and you know, this is a, a total stranger walking in here. And what a beautiful reminder that it had nothing to do with me. Like these processes. Um, they they stand on their own and they work and it transcends um, culture and religion and and everything else when it just comes to like us being human with each other. So um, it was it was really exciting to be out there and right now we are looking in um, Asia and Europe. Um, I might get this wrong, but I think we're looking at a space in like Thailand. Um, I think in Phuket. Um, Cambodia, um, hopefully like, uh, maybe Barcelona. So yeah, yeah. We're looking around to start opening up in hostels specifically. That's really cool. Um, yeah. and I, I'm happy to hear you kind of talk about broaching the, the cultural gap basically, you know, because just because something works in one place doesn't necessarily mean it will have the same effect in another when people bring their own, um, you know, their own uh, cultural backgrounds into the equation. But you tested it out, you know, you were there and you gave these workshops and, and the same practices do work. And maybe people do bring their own backgrounds and histories, but they're still able to receive a benefit from from a technique that that does the work that it needs to do for them. So that's really inspiring and cool to hear. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. Alina, apart from getting your message out on the podcast, what are you doing today to live your dharma? Today, um, well, we have a, a teacher training starting on Friday. So I am going to spend some time getting my ducks in a row for that. I'm getting to, like reading through the applications and kind of getting to know who the TTs are a bit before I get to meet them face to face. And I'm um, teaching a couple classes this afternoon. So I think, um, yeah, I think that's, 
that's what's happening today. Hopefully going to get a practice in at some point. Yeah. Yeah. What is the, if you had to distill it down to a core sentence or two, what is it that you want yoga to the people, teachers to be, to be sharing when they teach? other than themselves and, and their own experiences, um, because I think that one of the beautiful things about our community, because we're donation-based, um, we get people from every walk of life coming in through our doors. Then we get people from every walk of life doing our teacher trainings. Uh, and then we get people from every walk of life teaching yoga. So, uh, you know, we don't I think a lot of times um, people think that in order to teach yoga, they have to fulfill this kind of um, I am a yogi checklist, right? Like I have to be vegan. I have to know these poses in Sanskrit or, or whatever. And um, for these to be just like, like, you know, like real people who just love the yoga, sharing the yoga, I think that's really powerful. Um, and then as, um, as a community, one something that I really want us to stay committed to is is encouraging people to take responsibility for their experiences on their yoga mat, you know? And then, and then hopefully if they can take responsibility for their experience in their yoga practice, that starts to bleed out into the rest of their lives where they just get to take responsibility for their overall experience. Yeah, that's amazing. And it, it answered the, the follow-up question I had, which is what do you want people coming into yoga, the people to experience? And um, I like how you tied that back to something that you really believe is a part of, of Dharma, which is the ability to respond with, with choice and intention. So yeah, that's all we got. Beautiful sentiment and something that we can all strive for. Alina, now is the time to move on to the final section of the interview. This is the prana round. I'm going to ask you six rapid fire questions. Okay. Okay. Answer in minimum one word, maximum one sentence. Here we go. In one word, why do you practice yoga? Peace. What is your favorite yoga pose and why? Wheel. Um, Because I used to hate it and then I held it for five minutes and now I really, really love it. And there's, uh, it's, it feels very powerful and I use my whole body and there's lots of variations. Yeah, it's a great pose. The five minute wheel. Yes. What, <laughs> wheel. what is the single best cue or piece of advice that you've ever received from a yoga teacher? Does it have to be yoga related? It does not have to be yoga related. Okay. Then it's, um, Withholding forgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. There's another sutra right there. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Recommend one book, either modern or ancient, for our listeners. I, I find myself, it's so simple and it's such a quick read, but I find myself referencing the prophet all the time. The prophet? Mm-hmm. Who's, who's the author of The Prophet? Khalil Gibran. Okay, thank you. Yes. Is yoga for everyone? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Cool. And last question. How can our audience get in touch with you, and how can we support you in your dharma? 
Um, you can get in touch with me through, um, well, my email is alina at yoga to the um, My, I'm also pretty responsive now. Um, lately I've been much better at Instagram. That's, um, one breath underscore one movement. And, uh, and come, come to yoga to the people. It's, it's no, it's no risk. You know, it's, it, we're, we're donation based. It's a great energy. And really the more people, uh, the, the more the merrier. The really full classes are the ones that just have the best energy. They carry themselves. So yeah, come stop by. And come to the next Tantra talk, right? And June come to the next 22nd. Tantra That's it. Yes. Yes. I believe that one. Um, I'm almost positive we're going to be talking about gender. Very good. Yes. Alina, thank you so much. It was awesome connecting with you here over the, the airwaves. And um, I'm sure we will con- continue this conversation soon in person. Yes. Thanks so much, Henry. Hey, Dharma Talk community. If you enjoyed this podcast and you haven't done so already, please hit the subscribe button right now. And if you'd like to show your support even more, leave me an honest review on iTunes or whatever podcast directory you listen on. You can also make a financial contribution to keep the show up and running, a donation at henrywins.com. And remember, I'm here to serve you. So if you have any questions or comments or ideas, you can always reach me on Instagram at 